It's time once more for Sunday School Bonanza, a This Week in Mormons production. Visit us at thisweekinmormons.com and on various social media outlets and shoot us an email at contact at thisweekinmormons.com if you're so inclined. We'd love it. This week's lesson is Lesson 8, The Restoration of the Priesthood, and here to help us make sense of all of it, once more, is the pride of the Sooner State, Bill Doolittle, everyone. Hey, I thought that was Will Rogers, but I'll take it. I don't even know who that is. Uh, I know Roy Rogers and their bad food. Uh, That's all I got. No, Will Rogers was uh, a roper and a lot funnier than Roy. Isn't isn't Ted Danson from Oklahoma? I don't know. And Mike Huck... Isn't Mike Huck... What about Mike Huckabee? I've heard Mm, that Ted Cruz is from Oklahoma. (laughs) Isn't President Trump from Oklahoma? Uh, I think pretty much everyone you can come up with off the top of your head is from Oklahoma. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, seriously. Uh, We have prima ballerinas, and we have country music (laughs) stars, and we have pilots and uh, inventors and... Uh, You're forgetting about the pioneer woman, too. Oh, well... Reed Drummond, everyone. Yes. Get some sugar, some butter, and bathe in it. That's all you need. But that's all off topic, everybody. We're talking about priesthood restoration today. Uh, for for reading, a lot of random stuff you can read as far as sections and doctrine and covenants. You're talking section 13, 20, 27, 84, 107, 110, Joseph Smith history, our heritage, as well as, as, well as a number of supplemental essays and materials now provided to us by the church that we did not have before. Um, so hopefully in this lesson, we'll talk about the restoration of the priesthood, as well as uh, the definition of priesthood keys versus general priesthood authority, which I think is an interesting and important thing to understand that sometimes I still sometimes don't keep straight in my head. But um, anyway, so before we get there, Jeff, Bill, do you do you mind if I nerd out for a minute? Yeah. Um, yes. What I would like to cover is what these sections are that we're going to talk about today about the restoration of the priesthood, how crucial they were to the organization of the church. So Mm -hmm. we know that the Doctrine and Covenants um, originally was going to be the the Book of Commandments, right? And so in 1831, the church voted to publish that, right? Uh, And in 1833, they had started to gather up some of Joseph Smith's revelations. And then that printing press got smashed in Missouri, right? So by the time they finally get around to printing it in 1835, it has a very different feel. It's not um, that it has lectures on faith in the first part, which is the doctrine and the doctrine and covenants, although eventually mm-hmm. those got taken out. Um, and then the rest of it is the seven revelations that we have now. Interesting. So those seven revelations uh, were the ones that we're going to cover a lot of what we're going to cover uh, in this lesson that uh, people will be talking about in their, in their Sunday school classes. It was, you know, section 20, kind of the constitution of the church, um, section 107, section 84, a lot of the sections on the organization of the priesthood were in those seven revelations that were included in the book of commandments as kind of the governing documents of the church. So um, I think it's important to remember just how critical these revelations on how the priesthood was organized were to the early church. That was some excellent geek out stuff. That was great context, Bill. I appreciate, I appreciate that. Uh, So, so the lesson will start off, you know, basically just the definition of priesthood. I hate to say this is boilerplate stuff, but in some ways, I mean, it is, but it's, but but it's an important refresher because that's how you're setting the stage for the lesson and why the rest of it matters, right? So, so priesthood, of course, is 
the power of God. The power to act on earth in God's name is a common way to express it. Um, so, of course, a simple question, why is it important? I will answer my own question, because how else are we supposed to bless mankind on the earth if God himself is not down here doing it? We need to, you know, be good stewards of his power and use it to bless God's children. Very simple. And I'm very grateful for priesthood power. I mean, yes, I am, I am a man, therefore I am eligible to hold priesthood office and do those things in the church, but it's been very humbling at times in my life to hold the priesthood. It's so easy to take for granted because it's something that is almost can be rote in a way as a, as a man in the church. You know, here's the stuff you do. You do, you, you, you pass the sacrament, you get fast offerings, you get older, you do stuff. But as I've become more mature, I've really realized how incredibly important it is. And especially, uh, I was raised mostly by a, a single mom. My dad was close by, but my parents were divorced. And I remember how excited my mom was when I was ordained an elder because it meant for the first time uh, since I was a young kid, she had a Melchizedek priesthood holder in the house and how much that meant to her. And I've had similar situations with just a girl, you know, when I was in the single scene, girls I knew who were single, who were really happy to have a home teacher who could offer blessings. And you forget how crucial it is and how vital it is uh, when it's something that's just been around all the time. But it's uh, God really does use it to bless his children. And it's very humbling to have that opportunity to serve. Yeah, I mean, Jeff, it's uh, I'm just hearing that you and I are friends for a reason. I mean, that's my experience as well of yeah. having a single mom and, uh, uh, you know, when the time came being the only priesthood holder in the home and um, having that opportunity to serve. I mean, that's really, a, it's very humbling. And I think, you know, a lot of us uh, who have had the opportunity to exercise the priesthood and to give blessings, I mean, for example, you know, you get into giving a blessing and it's, uh, it's a really special moment where you give the blessing and um, then the person asks, you know, how you knew that that was what they needed to hear or, or um, what uh, they were struggling with. And you laid that out there and it's, you know, it's really more than your best efforts could have done. And, and you recognize, yeah. yeah, I mean, you recognize that it's uh, a really sacred moment and a sacred opportunity to serve in that way. Those times in my life have been incredibly uh, powerful because when you go in just for a blessing, and you've probably experienced this, you you have ideally some t- some heads up and you have some time to contemplate what's going on. You want to be in the right place. But inevitably in my mind, thoughts about what I might say or what might be relevant pop in your head, you know, th- blessings you might want to dictate. And there have been many times when I've had an idea in my head about where things would go and I'll have a stupor of thought about it. And all of a sudden I'm saying something that I did not plan on saying at all. And like you said, Bill, it's uh, it's powerful stuff, and it's it's pretty amazing. So, so let's dive in to the restoration of both priesthoods. So the restoration of the Aaronic priesthood. Bill, perhaps you can walk us through what happened with this, and perhaps why we have two priesthoods at the same time. And please do all of it in less than sixty-five seconds. I'm kidding. Okay, I shall endeavor. So Joseph and Oliver are down in Harmony, Pennsylvania. It's May of eighteen twenty-nine. They're translating the Book of Mormon, and they translate the passage about. Um, the uh, baptizing at the waters of Mormon, and they say, huh, who has authority to do that? And they're trying to trying to understand this question that was on a lot of people's minds. I mean, Charles Wesley had written that poem about his brother ordaining a guy named Pope where he said, how easily are bishops made by man or woman's whim, Wesley on Pope his hands hath laid, but who laid hands on him? So Joseph and Oliver go down to the banks of the Susquehanna where you can go to the restoration site. Uh-huh. 
Absolutely. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, there's the new the new restoration site that I, I actually haven't been to, but they go down there to pray, and then um, you know they receive the visitation of of Peter, James, and John, and they get the uh, they get the priesthood. And there are two keys, uh, two sets of keys that the lesson materials focus on in that restoration. First, there are the keys of the ministering of angels, and this is uh, there's a great quote in here from mm-hmm. President Hinckley. He says that means, as I interpret it the ministering of angels. That means, as I interpret it, that if you live worthy of the priesthood, you have the right to receive and enjoy the very power of heavenly beings to guide you, to protect you, to bless you. And then the other set of uh, is the keys of repentance and baptism, which um, by the exercise of those keys, um, this restoration by, um, you know, that Joseph and Oliver received, by exercising the keys of repentance and baptism, you're preparing people uh, to receive the greater blessings that are going to be administered through the Melchizedek priesthood, such as the gift of the Holy Ghost. So when when John the Baptist comes and appears, wait, did I say Peter, James, and John earlier? Yeah, that was. Uh, sorry. No, you're good. That yeah, John the Baptist, obviously. So he comes and and restores this. Yeah. Um, and these blessings now are preparing not only Joseph and Oliver, mm-hmm. but the whole church. Uh, for the receipt of of these greater blessings that are going to come through the Melchizedek priesthood, so and you can go look in uh, section two of the Doctrine and Covenants and and see where what exactly John the Baptist said to them, uh, you know, I, upon you, my fellow servants, right? And that's got to be really comforting to these guys. But so now we have the Aaronic priesthood, and you know, Jeff, earlier you were mentioning that the Aaronic priesthood is really pivotal. I mean, in fact, uh, the Old Testament is mostly that. Yeah. Most of the Old Testament, yeah, most of the Old Testament is actually Aaronic priesthood based. There was no Melchizedek priesthood for a lot of the uh, Old Testament until Christ came back, which is a big reason why John the Baptist had the Aaronic priesthood. But the Melchizedek priesthood was another was another deal. Um, Let's talk about keys real quick for our audience. Then, so how do we differentiate between the the priesthood authority? of just having the Aaronic priesthood and what the keys entail. Now I've been a key holder in my life, which little we're veering into Ghostbusters territory right now. I was the key master. And, um, but, but I've been there when I was an elders quorum president, I held the keys for my quorum. And that's what we'll talk about in a bit. Cause that was effectively the keys of administration. Um, and that's something unique to the Melchizedek priesthood to administer the affairs of the church. And what that meant is aside from being a Melchizedek priesthood holder, I, in that particular office, had the authority to run the affairs of that quorum. And so even coming down to things like calling and sustaining and setting people apart didn't fall on the bishopric that was actually underneath my authority because I had the keys to do so uh, within my realm. And I, so, which is, so which makes it a bit unique because there are very few callings in the ward where you have someone other than the bishopric who can issue callings and sort of run an autonomous sub-organization in that sense. Uh, still, of course, working within the confines of the ward. So so keys are various things along these lines where it's particular authorities and abilities that are uh, held by a, a main key holder but can be delegated out over time, which is why now, um, you know, when I was one elders quorum president in Virginia, I have that. But of course, you could trace that all the way up to back in the early days when all the keys were for everything were held by just top church leadership, and that was it. And then they've distilled things down as time has gone on. Mm-hmm. I hope I explained that well. Yeah, no, and and in fact, they'll have uh, specific meetings for 70s before they come to reorganize a stake where uh, the apostles will delegate 
the keys to them. Interesting. Uh, so that they're you know they're authorized to reorganize the stake. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if with the expansion of the church if they'll switch to like a blanket delegation or if that's going to happen. But anyway, they have to delegate. They might have. Yeah, I'm not sure. Is the ceiling power considered a key thing, or is that just something separate? Uh, I don't know. I mean, that's the thing that that's that's been sort of delegated down. But I don't know. I wonder about that one. Yeah, me too. Um, but that's another that's another example. Why, for example, uh, if you're if you've ever wondered why your high priest's group is not called the high priest's quorum in a ward that you might be in, that's because a high priest's quorum has to be run at the stake level, and your stake president's actually the president of the high priest's quorum of a particular stake. And but to organize it at a ward level, they just make them into groups that then fall under that. It's a kind of a goofy administrative thing when you think about it, but that's the whole rationale behind it. There is no high priest's quorum in specific to an individual ward. That's a stake level quorum. It's a stake quorum, and you're just one part mm-hmm. of it. Yeah, and in fact, you can uh, find the rationale for that in the sections that are covered in the lesson uh, this week because they're, um, they talk about the size of the quorums oh, yeah. and what's permitted for each level. Um, so you've got like priest quorums can be a certain size, and a high priest group doesn't have exactly. a size, so that is organized at the stake level. So we know after receiving the uh, the restoration of the Aaronic Priesthood, which is a wonderful and amazing story, um, and I always loved reading that too, as a side note, because they baptize each other. And it's so easy that we conflate baptism with joining the church at the same time, but it wasn't the case. It was more about baptism for the remission of sins and engaging in the proper ordinance. Now, the Melchizedek Priesthood is interesting because while we have very specific dates and accounts for the Aaronic Priesthood, uh, the Melchizedek Priesthood, just because of some church history and some references and sections of Doctrine and Covenants, we know that sometime later, Peter, James, and John appeared to them and restored the Melchizedek Priesthood. But it's a little vague. Bill and I were talking about that before. Bill, if you want to share some of the delightful rough stone rolling info from Mr. Bushman, go for it. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, like a lot of us, I think, I have always understood that uh, that shortly afterwards, you know, when we talk about the Melchizedek priesthood being restored shortly after, we're usually thinking like June of 1829, um, which kind of makes sense in our in our timeline. But uh, if you look at the um, biography, Rough Stone Rolling, uh, of Joseph Smith, this was written by uh, Brother Richard Bushman, uh, who's a historian at Columbia. And um, I think it's a really important book. I mean, it's uh, it's it was the first biography of Joseph Smith that was based on all of the information that was gathered during the Joseph Smith Papers Project. So um, it's a really, it's an interesting take, I think a very valuable treatise. And bear in mind, folks, it's sold at Deseret Book. It's like on the level. Okay. We're not reading something. Okay. Right, right. So it's, um, so the way Bushman pulls together the historical evidence, it looks like this restoration of the Melchizedek priesthood may have occurred in 1830, uh, notably after probably the founding of the church in April of 1830. And the records Bushman pulls together show that Joseph and Oliver were, uh, you know, building up the church in Colesville, New York. They were bringing people into the church there. And then they got run out of town, or rather Joseph got arrested and had been charged with money digging and, uh, you know, breaking the peace, that kind of stuff. And then you'll remember the, some of you might remember the story where there's this constable who feels bad for Joseph because Joseph gets acquitted, but he's still under arrest for something in a different county mm-hmm. and um, lets him go. And Joseph and Oliver run down to Harmony, Pennsylvania. They get out of Dodge, right? And then they're trying to get this um, – they want to go back and finish the work they were doing in Colesville. So they come running back up to Colesville, but 
when they get there, the heat is so hot, right, that they can't stay. They have to leave. So it's in that moment when they're fleeing Colesville again uh, to go back to Harmony, Pennsylvania. And uh, here's, what, uh, here's how Bushman tells it. He says, Joseph said they traveled all night, except a short time, during which we were forced to rest ourselves, he's quoting Joseph now, under a large tree by the wayside, sleeping and watching alternately. Um, Mm -hmm. And then Bushman says, it may have been on this occasion that Peter, James, and John appeared to Joseph in Cowdery, and as a later revelation said, ordained you and confirmed you to be apostles and special witnesses of my name, and bear the keys of your ministry, and of the same things which I revealed unto them. And then Bushman shares a quote from Erastus Snow. He says, Erastus Snow later said that uh, Peter, James, and John appeared to Joseph in Cowdery, quote, at a time when they were being pursued by their enemies, and they had to travel all night, and in the dawn of the coming day when they were weary and worn who should appear unto them uh, or to them but peter james and john for the purpose of conferring upon them the apostleship so you know a different timeline right that happens in 1830 but uh but still a pretty amazing story and that's an interesting take for sure and one thing people i think should remember as well is when the church was organized it wasn't organized completely, like with uh, full presidencies and presiding and stuff like that. And some of that has to do with the Melchizedek priesthood being restored, uh, you know, after the fact. Because you find that it wasn't until 1832, actually, that the uh, the presidency was formally organized and Joseph Smith was actually made the chief high priest of the church. And we see that these are keys that were restored with the Melchizedek priesthood, the authority to administer the gospel, the keys of all the spiritual blessings of the church, uh, the right of presidency and the keys of the gathering of Israel. These things were vital, and those keys were not, they didn't exist at the time, <laughs> immediately when the church was organized. The church was organized under a different authority. So it's it's great to see these timelines, I find. And also, by the way, I found this, folks. The church actually has a whole timeline. If you Google, like, church history timeline, it's a page they never reference, but there's a whole long scrollable timeline with important dates in church history, and you can kind of stitch stuff together and get a better idea of when certain things happened and how it relates to the big, the big picture. And so these powers were restored. And then we have all the keys that we talked about. And now they'll never be taken from the earth again. That's the amazing thing too. No more apostasy. Obviously we have to do our part to live worthy of the blessings of the priesthood, whether to administer or to receive the blessings. But um, it's pretty amazing. And there's a ton of great supplemental material here to read, a great essay on Joseph Smith's teachings about priesthood, the temple, and women, the race and the priesthood essay. A lot of stuff we don't have a ton of time for here, but worth part of your personal study. Definitely something to consider. Yeah. Uh, They might also check the section entitled Oliver Cowdery's Gift. That's got some good stuff. for sure. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Sunday School Bonanza, everybody. Once again, the lesson is Lesson 8, The Restoration of the Priesthood. Bill, thank you for enlightening us with your knowledge and wisdom. (laughs) Jeff, thank you for having me. Pleasure to have you. And we hope you all have a great Sunday. I'm Jeff. That's Bill. Hey. Sunday School Bonanza's out. Bye-bye.